I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, two songs ago, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. With those words coming off your lips, let these words, the words of Scripture, fill your mind. Ephesians chapter 6. We've heard it many times over the last few weeks. Verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Let's stop right there. Even though we were just commanded to stand, go ahead and have a seat. This, uh, this is a text that we have become f- familiar with over the last few weeks. We spent a lot of time in verse uh, 11 talking about the schemes of the devil. We spent a lot of time over the last few weeks talking about verse 12, looking at how there are these rulers and these authorities and these principalities. We even looked at the devil and who he is and, and his tactics. We've, we've looked at how he wants to deceive you so you'll believe the wrong things. We looked at how he wants to tempt you so that you will live the wrong kind of life. We saw that ultimately he wants to accuse you. That's why he tempts you and that's why he deceives you. He wants to accuse you. And we've begun to be, develop a strategy for how to, how to stand on the truth, how to hold tightly to the truth. And that's what we're going to look at today. We are going to look at this call to, to stand firm. Stand firm. Now, I want to set things up for you today by telling you about something that I've watched over the last month develop. And yes, it's going to be a baseball illustration because it is that time of the year, Right? But over the last month, I've been getting to know this team that, that Asher is on. We're kind of in a weird spot because Asher's not able to play right now, but I'm still coaching this team, and so it's fine, it's fun. And, uh, but but the, I'm going to tell you about one kid on our team, and I've seen this kid uh, multiple times over the years, the same kind of idea. This is a kid who, uh, he is he's scared of the ball. In fact, let me tell you what he's done for the last month. Tommy, would you bring me that little, uh, that little prop? Guess what prop? It's going to be a baseball bat, right? So there, there's a kid on our team, and uh, early on, this is Asher's bat. It's a little, little short for me. But early on, uh, this kid, he would get into the batter's box, and we would, what I do is I draw a little line right where they put their toes, right? I know where they need to stand. I uh, draw a little line right where they put their toes, and I say, I want, you to, I want you to get ready, right? And we have a little system we go through, so their feet, and then their hands, and then they get their hands up, and then they load up, and... Um, Maybe how some of us would swing if we got into the box, right? He gets in there, and it's a pitching machine. And the pitching machine, by and large, it's going to throw the ball pretty close to the, the strike zone. Sometimes it goes a little high, sometimes a little low. But by and large, it's really just right there, very hittable. And uh, in the first month, this kid, he would get in the box, and he would get set, and, and the pitch would come, and he would go like this. And he would not stand, Stand right there. Keep your feet in. Keep your foot right on that line. Keep your feet right on that line. Okay, okay, I'm going to do it. And he'd get up there, and he'd get ready, and the pitch would come, and, and his feet, I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating, feet out of the box. He was scared. He was frightened. He was so scared that he was not able to stand. He didn't stand because he was afraid. I, I wonder... 
I wonder if that's how some of us live when it comes to our faith. I wonder if that's how some of us live when it comes to the, the onslaught that we face in this world that is working overtime to pressure us not to stand. Some of us have friends that when we're around them, we, we, we set Christ aside and, and we do what we want to do. Some of us, we have maybe coworkers or places in, in our family where there are people around us that when we're near them, we will compromise on our values. We will hide or even deny what we believe from the Scripture. And the reason we do it is the same exact reason why this kid would back out of the box. That ball's coming in quick. <laughs> and he was scared. And life is coming at you very quick. And it's always happening. You're always going from one thing to the next. And it is so easy to not plant your feet and not stand. See, today as we look at this text, verses 10 through 13, and I can include verse 14. If you include verse 14, all of these verses, it uses the, the, the word stand four times in this short section. Tonight, my big idea, my desire for you, I want you to see that you stand firm. I want you to see that you stand firm. Listen, I can't make sure you stand firm. Teenagers in the room, your parents cannot make sure you stand firm. Husbands, your wife can't do it for you. Wives, your husband can't do it for you. You have to see that you stand firm. I really want to ask you, are you willing to take a stand when it comes to your faith? Are you willing to build your life and balance your life on the Scripture? Do you, do you know what it looks like to take a stand? Do you know where you need to take a stand? Do you know what to actually stand upon? With those questions in mind, would you open up your Bible, if you have not done so already? Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's talk about this, this, this simple phrase, stand firm. Let's talk about this phrase tonight. I want you to see what it looks like to stand firm and how we go about doing this. Really, today, ultimately, what I, what I hope is I want to help you take courage to take courage so that you can take a stand. So let's dive in. We're going to start, start picking up in verse 10. And in verse 10, what we're going to see first and foremost is that you have to stand firm in the Lord. You have to stand firm in the Lord. This means that we don't stand firm in our own understanding. We don't stand firm in our own strength. We don't stand firm necessarily even in, in the cultural Christianity that might surround us. We don't stand firm in, you know what, I've got uh, uh, you know, strong believers in my life. We stand firm in the Lord. Verse 10 says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now this, be strong in the Lord, this is a reflexive verb here. This is really to strengthen yourself in the Lord. To, to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And in fact, it says, in the strength of his might. This says to strengthen yourself in the mighty strength of the Lord. This is the idea here. You, you kind of get the sense. Where is the source of the power? Where, where is the sphere of reference of the strength? You see, you do not trust in worldly strength. Do not trust in worldly strength. This has kind of been a, a theme for us over these last few weeks. We've talked about how easy it is for us to rely on our own intelligence, 
on our own charisma, on our own strategy, on our own strength. And listen, all of those are a gift from God. You are to use those things, but, but we have to be careful to make sure we draw the source of our power not, on, not, not from how good or smart or strong we are. We have to make sure over and over again the source of our power is squarely built on how strong God is. He, he is the source of our strength. He is the source, source of your power. You see, when it comes to standing firm, and we're going to flesh out this idea a little bit more over the next few minutes, but when it comes to standing firm, if you are standing firm against temptation and you're saying, I am strong enough on my own, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not. If it comes to standing strong against deception and you say, I am smart enough on my own, I'm going to tell you right now, you are not. See, over the entire course of the scripture, God is always calling his people not to an arrogant self-reliance, but to a humble dependence upon him. You think about the Psalms. Think about the psalmist David. When he was facing great odds and, and he was overwhelmed, Psalm chapter 20, verses 7, 8, David's words, when he would be maybe, maybe quick to rely on himself, I mean, the, the old song that they sang of him is that he had killed his ten thousands while Saul had killed his thousands. This is David who, is, who has accomplished so many great things. But look at what he writes, Psalm chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our God. They collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. Now, let me ask you, did David have chariots? Yes. Did David have horses? Yes. Do you have strength? Yeah, you do. Do you have wisdom? Do you have intelligence? Do you have charisma? Do you have strategy? Yeah, you have those things. But listen, here is the difference. Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your hope? Do you trust in your own strength? Oh, look, look at how good I am at all these things in my life. Or do you say, regardless of how good I am, I am going to trust that it's, it's God who is ultimately going to lead to victory. This really is, this is the simple difference that I'm talking about. This simple difference that rests on, on two words. The, the words are humility and hope. I want to present to you a phrase. It's called humble hope. Humble hope. What does it look like to have humble hope? The humble part is when you are continually bowing down before the Lord, saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my strength, but your strength. God, I, I, I am going into this situation, and I'm going to do the best that I can in this moment, but ultimately, whether, whether this situation ends in a way that I want it to or in a different way, whether I'm healed of a disease or not, whether I'm financially prosperous or not, whether this relationship works out or not, I am going to humbly submit myself to you. But then that next word is hope. But I'm going to hope that you will do good. I'm going to hope that you are wise beyond my own wisdom. 
I'm going to hope that even if I'm disappointed in the outcome, that you are still faithfully working, fulfilling every single one of the promises that you've made. This is what I call humble hope. This is the kind of humility where you recognize that everything you have comes from the Lord. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to this, this church. We've, we've looked at them over and over again. Our main text came out of 2 Corinthians last week. We, we've been considering this Corinthian church. And, and in, in 1 Corinthians, the, this church is a church that, I'm just going to put it like this, they are a mess. There is sexual sin. There is financial sin. There is relational sin. They, 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 they are just kind of checking all of the boxes of everything you should not do as a church. They are a mess, yet they're still a church. They're still believers. And Paul, he's going to correct them quite a bit over this, the course of this book. But look at what he reminds them of. He reminds them of when the gospel was shared with them. And how God chooses those who might not be the strongest in the world's eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. And not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chooses what is foolish to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are all in Jesus Christ, who, be, who became to us Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is humble hope. This is the kind of recognition that we have when we say, my strength does not come from myself. You, you realize, when you look around and you say, you know what, I, I don't compare to this person very well. Maybe I'm not quite as smart as that guy right there. Maybe I'm not quite as pretty as this, per this gal over there. Maybe I don't have the same strength as that person over there. You know what we do naturally as humans? We start to say, man, I really, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a nobody. I really don't have much to offer. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just inconsequential. Exactly. Now, if you take offense to that, I'm sorry. That's my, my goal is not to offend you. But God chose you. God called you. And he did not do it because of how wise you are. He did not do it because of how strong you are. He did not do it because of anything that you bring to the table. Rather, he called you so that he could show his strength through you so that when he uses you to share the gospel, when he uses you to disciple someone else, when he uses you to do great things in this world, the world looks and says, wow. Not look at how awesome Mike is, but wow, look at God could even use a dope like Mike for his great purposes. Here's the point I'm laboring, church. Don't rely on your own strength. Now, you might say, okay, I get it, Mike. No, do you? 
We live in 21st century America. We, are, we have it baked into our thinking, this kind of rugged individualism, right? That we can do everything that we put our minds to. Be very careful. Do not rely on your own strength. Instead, trust. Trust in divine strength. This is the next point here. Instead of relying or trusting in, in worldly strength, trust in divine strength. Verse 10, it uses these three words. It says, be strengthened in the Lord, in the, in the Lord right? This is the, the word for power. And then it says, in the, in the strength of his might. The second word is the idea of, of rule. And the third word is the idea of, of sovereignty. This is, this is, God is the king. He is the one that rules over all things. And he wants to give you the strength so that you can accomplish what he has called you to do. This is the picture. In fact, the picture is seen in one of, the, one of my favorite movies, and, and maybe you hate it, maybe you love it, but, but the, the movie Lion King is just about the best Disney movie ever, right? It's, it's up there, right? top three for sure. And there's a scene in The Lion King when, when Simba, the lion, he is being uh, attacked by the hyenas. Maybe you remember the scene. And these hyenas, they're going to attack him. They're going to kill him. Simba's a little cub. And, uh, and they're kind of even like mocking Simba. They're like, oh, you're going you're gonna to roar at us, right? And he's just got this little cub roar, right? It's not much of anything, right? But then the next time Simba goes and roars, well, guess what? His dad, the Lion King, has shown up. And the moment Simba roars... Mufasa, that's, that's the name, right? Roars at the exact same time, and it is a full-throated, terrifying roar of a, of a lion. And it sends those hyenas fleeing. This is what it looks like to be strengthened by the Lord. To remember who God is. To remember that he's going to accomplish his purposes, so you need not rely on your own strength and... You don't need to be terrified of the ball. You don't have to be scared of the world. You can stand firm. This is the kind of power that we have. Let me remind you of this power. Ephesians chapter 1. Same book. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It's talking about the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, immeasurable power, working of his great might, verse 20, this is the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. I want you to understand the power that is working in you is the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. Just let that sit with you for a minute. If that is true, how does that change the next time you have an opportunity to share the gospel with a friend? Do you think like, oh, you know, I'm, uh, maybe, maybe you could, well, maybe you should listen to me talk about, can, can, I, just, can I just ask you about G Jesus? Am I allowed to say Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Is that being strengthened with the power? Or is it, hey, can I share with you who Jesus is and what he's done to save me and what he has done to save you? You see, just a subtle difference. Your confidence is not in yourself in whether you have good words or, or you fumble over your words. 
Your confidence is not in your appearance and whether you think you're attractive or not. Your confidence is not in your intellect and whether you can, you can hold two thoughts at once or barely at all. Your confidence is you have been called to stand firm. You have been called to a mission. And in that, be strengthened with the power of God. This is what it looks like to stand firm. To remember the power is coming directly from God. So, so stand strong. Stand strong. Well, let's press this a little bit further. What does it look like then? What does it look like to stand firm with the power, with the strength of Christ? Well, I think we have to understand that this, this looks like us aligning our life with his words. That this is what we've covered a number of times over the last few weeks. To stand strong is not a feeling. To stand strong is an action. And it's an action that's built off of the truth. And so here's what we stand on. We stand firm on the word. We stand firm on the word. You understand that we, we, are, we stand firm in the Lord, in his strength. But what this really means is that we ultimately, we stand firm on the word. Let me give you just a great picture. This is the very words of Jesus. He, he illustrates this for us. Matthew chapter 7. This is the, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says here, starting in verse 24. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, you can only stand strong if you have solid footing. You can only stand strong. Your house, will, your life will only stand strong if it's built on the rock. But look, Jesus says this rock that you build your life on is the rock of his word. This is how you stand. See, your life, you will stand firm if and only if your life is built, not on your own ideas, not on society's whims and philosophies, but if your life is built solidly on the word of God. I want to encourage you, consider this, to carefully build your life upon the word. Carefully build your life upon the Word. Now, what, what does it look like to build your life upon the Word? Well, it looks like every decision you make, you, you are taking the Word of God and you're saying, is there anywhere in the Scripture that, that I can identify the Scripture identifies the issue I'm dealing with? And whatever the Scripture says, I am going to do what it says. So let's just consider this for a minute. There's some people that are single in this room. How do you approach the opposite gender? Are you looking for someone who you see them living a life that, that honors Christ? Or are you looking for someone that makes you feel special? Well, I hope you get both. But what are you really looking for? Are you looking for someone who is godly and God-honoring? Let's talk about those who are married in this room. 
Are, are you living your life saying, you know what, I want my husband or my wife to do this, 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 and this, and this? Or are you living your life saying, this is what the Bible tells me to do as a husband? This is what the Bible tells me to do as a wife? See, this is what it looks like to build your life upon the Word. You can apply this to finances. Well, I'd really like to buy this new thing. Well, let's just think, how does the Bible talk about our money? Are you being generous? Are you in debt? Will, will you go into debt to buy this thing? The Bible speaks to all of those things very clearly. Are you building your life? Are you making your decisions based upon the Word of God? And what the Word says. Not only about what the Word says about your life situations, but are you basing your life upon what the Word says about who you are? And who are you? In my Wednesday morning group, I've got a group of guys. We meet at 6 a.m. In my Wednesday morning group this last week, I, I just asked this question, and it was kind of a question about identity. And someone just almost immediately, you know what they said about themselves? They said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Do you believe that? I mean, you've sinned this week. Want to know how I know? Because <laughs> I have. Because the Bible says that we all sin and we struggle in many ways. Now, hopefully you're growing in your sins. I mean, you're, you're growing away from them, right? You're, you're, you're growing in your sanctification. But here's the deal. You and I, we, we still struggle with our old nature. But, but here's the truth. If you are in Christ... If you have trusted in Jesus in his death and resurrection, this is true about you right now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you. God isn't mad at you. God isn't looking for you to just do that one last thing and then I'll, he's going to take you out. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like to carefully build your life upon God's word. But I want to I want to press this a little bit further. See, when you carefully build your life upon God's word, this is when you say that my every part of my life is on the table and I'm going to apply God's word to every part of my life. But but you know what? Sometimes we start out doing that and, and life gets busy and we kind of lose track of things. So not only do you carefully build your life upon God's word, but here's the second thing. I want you to continually balance your life on the word. See, you don't just say, you know what, I believe the Bible, and, and then you're done. See, you and I, we live in a world where we have to continually go back to the truth. We have to continually balance our life upon the word of God. Now, I want to give you an example of this, and, and this is an example that's used when it talks about society and the way society changes over time. But I think this, this example of the way society changes over the time, it, it works the exact same way in my life and in your life sometimes. And this example is something called the Overton window. Let me show you this. The Overton window, I think there's a, a picture up here to give you some idea of what I'm talking about. Now, this Overton window, you see that it's like a sliding scale. And in the very middle of this diagram, there is a word that says policy. And then the, but there's this, this window around it, and that window around it is what's called the Overton window. And this is what a society generally, or for the most part, they look at and they say, this is what is good for a society. So you see in the very middle, there's, there's the policy, and then you go out a little bit further on both directions, and there are things that are popular, and then you go out a little bit further, and there are things that are sensible and then acceptable, and then you get to the far ends, the far ends of a society, and then there are things that are radical, 
and ultimately things that are unacceptable. Now, here's the way it works in a society. In a society, a society does not go from, here's what is policy, and then they go to, here is what is unacceptable and unthinkable, and they don't just switch and go over to what's unthinkable automatically. You want to know what they do? Next slide. They move the window over just a little bit. And so now... They move the window over just a little bit. So now what you see is what used to be policy is now kind of popular for some people. Some people still like it. But now what was popular for some people in society is now becoming policy. And then a little bit further over, what is sensible or what was sensible is now becoming popular. And what was acceptable is now becoming sensible. And what was radical, stay with me, is now becoming acceptable. And those behaviors on the far end, the things that were unthinkable, they're now just thought of as radical. And then you give it another decade, and guess what happens? The window moves a little bit more. And then a little bit more. And then a little bit more. And then over a few decades, what happens? Is it in a few decades, the things that at one time were unthinkable aren't just popular but their policy. Anybody read the news lately? This is the world we live in. A few decades ago, if you were to ask someone what their pronouns were, they would say, what are you talking about? This is the Overton window. And it shifts over time. But I'm not up here to rail against society right now. I want you to apply this to your life. I want you to apply this same window to your life because in your life, you have the same scale. You have things on the outer limits that are that they're, they're unthinkable and then a little bit closer in that things that are radical and then you have some things that a little bit closer in that they're, they're acceptable and then sensible and then popular and then you have the very core of your life, the way you live. But listen, here's what I found in my life if I am not careful to constantly measure and balance my life upon the word, I can start to shift in what I think is is acceptable. Maybe the shift is in the music I listen to. Maybe the shift is in the this telephone or the TV shows that I watch. Maybe the shift is in the language I use. But but listen, you and I, we have to constantly be careful to bring our life balancing back upon the word of God. I'll be honest, this is why so much of what our, our endeavoring right now is discipleship is all about this. In our discipleship groups, if you're part of one, what we do is we do this thing that we call it gospel input. When we gather together in our groups, we say, okay, what are you reading in the Bible? And they share, here's what I'm reading in the Bible. And then the next question is, how is, how is the scripture calling you to grow in your character So you become more like Jesus. You know what that question does? It keeps the window right centered on the word of God. And then the next question is, how is the scripture leading you to be uh, going on mission and representing Jesus? You know what that does? That keeps right center the fact that you are called to represent Jesus in this world. With the guys that I meet with every week, there are weeks when I have to share some stuff like, yeah, I'm slipping. I got to get back. I have to repent. 
There are weeks when I say, you know, I'm just really encouraged by this scripture right here. But the point is, we are constantly growing in that growth. You know what it does? It makes sure that, that we are continually balancing our life upon the word. Are, are you doing that? Let me, let me just give you a few just suggestions on how to make sure you do this. First of all, we, we have the Valley Bible Reading Plan. The Valley Bible Reading Plan is a, a weekday plan, Monday through Friday. It gets you th- through the Old Testament in two years and the New Testament every year. But here's the deal. You can jump in anytime you want. Maybe you have no reading plan. Listen, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure they're still bookmarked out there. I send out an email every Monday, most every Monday. And, uh, and in that email, there's the reading plan for the week. Jump on board the Valley Reading Plan. Let me give you one more suggestion. We do an everyday podcast during the week. Five to ten minutes, we teach through the book of John. And in that, it's just, it's getting you in the word of God, helping you apply the word of God. You want to know what this does? This means that you can balance your life upon the word. This is what's going to keep it so that you stay in the box and stand strong. Let's keep going. You are to stand firm in Christ. You're to stand firm upon the word. But then here's the question. What is it that we stand firm against? Well, here's what we got. You stand firm against evil. Against evil. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We've already talked about his schemes. We've already talked about the devil. But notice, this says that the goal of putting on the armor of God, we're going to start that next week, the goal of putting on the armor of God is that you can stand. So you can stand firm. Look at verse 13. Chapter 6, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. See, this is, this is core to every single believer. There, there are not some Christians that should do this and other Christians that should not. This is, this is core to every single one of us. You are to put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm. And what do you stand firm against? Against the devil, against his evil schemes, and against the evil day. This really is telling you to resist. First of all, you are to resist the evil one. Resist the evil one. This is Satan. It says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me give you another text of scripture that says the same thing. But but let me help us understand this. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. James writes this, he says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now there's a few things happening here. I'm not going to look at every word. But I want you to notice this. This verse, it gives you these joint commands. The first command is to submit ourselves to the Lord, and the second one is to resist the devil. Now, I want you to understand, these commands, they go hand in hand. Now, actually, here's the point I want to make. You cannot resist the devil if you do not submit to the Lord. See, I've seen so many people in their life try to do just the opposite. They say, I am going to, I am going to resist Satan, but I'm, I'm going to resist Satan, but you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to do all these things that the Bible instructs. I'm going to make up my own rules for these things, and I'm going to resist Satan when he attacks me. And you guys, you realize that is the most foolish thing you could ever do. 
You cannot resist Satan if you do not submit to the Lord. Why? Where does your strength come from? (laughs) We've already seen. Your strength comes from the Lord. This means that you cannot pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe in the Bible. You cannot pick and choose what you want to obey and what you don't want to obey in the Bible. You cannot resist the devil if you do not submit to the Lord. And how do you submit to the Lord? You believe and follow his word. It's as simple as that. This is how you submit to the Lord. In fact, verse 8, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a great promise. God is for you. He's not mad at you. There's no condemnation. He's saying, draw near to me. Come read my word. Come pray to me. Come meditate on the scripture. Come be part of the worship service. Draw near to God, and he will be right there near to you. This isn't necessarily a feeling, but this is a strengthening experience. And then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is simple. Repent. Repent in the places that you do not submit to the Lord. Now, what is that promise? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. <laughs> this is spiritual warfare. This is how you win. You can, if you resist him, if you resist believing the wrong things, deception, And if you resist living the wrong kind of life, temptation, the Lord will make the devil flee from you. You don't make him flee. You submit to the Lord. The Lord will do the work of removing the enemy and his temptation and his deception. This is the point here. This is why we stand. We stand against the evil one. But then also, look, you not only resist the evil one, but you persist in the evil day. You have to persist in the evil day. I've got some tough news for you. This, this sometimes means that you have to just endure. We, we don't know how long we have to resist the enemy until he'll flee from us. Sometimes it's long-term resistance and long-term persistence. Let, let me ask you to turn with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. There's such a great picture of what this looks like. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the new life that you have. Jesus was raised. You have new life. Verses 4 and 5 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, Verse 3, you have a new life in Christ. Verses 4 and 5, it says that you have this this unfading, this never-fading inheritance. And in fact, you yourself are being guarded until that final day. You are being guarded. Now, you have a new life. You have never-fading inheritance. But look with me now at verses 6 and 7 and see that you have necessary trials. This is is the kind of persistence that I'm talking about. Verse 6 says, In this, in this you rejoice, in this new life that you have, in this inheritance that you have waiting for you, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been grieved by various trials. Can I just ask you to look up for a minute? You don't have to raise your hand, but I think that's some of us in this room. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, what's it say? You've been grieved by various trials. You have to go through hard things. We live in an evil time. We live in a, a very difficult time. I was talking to another pastor just on Thursday, and he was telling me how, how anxious he is, is because of the world we live in. He said, Mike, I just can't stand just how broken our world is. He was telling me this. He, he is so anxious. This is the world you live in. We face death and disease. We face hostility for our faith. We face betrayal. We face relational dysfunction. These are the trials that we're facing. But look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is, you, you have to withstand in the evil day this is what it looks like to withstand in the evil day. I, I've got some tough news for you. Sometimes when you get into that batter's box and you get your feet planted and you get your hands up and you get loaded and you get ready for that ball, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes that ball doesn't come right down the middle. Sometimes that ball comes right at your noggin. Sometimes it just bounces right off you. And it hurts. This scripture doesn't promise you an easy life. This, this scripture does not promise you everything is honey and roses and sweet and happy. This scripture instead, you know what it says? It says that you have to persist in the evil day. You have to stand firm. When you get, when you get beamed, you got to get back in the box your next at bat. When life is hard, you don't give up, you don't turn away, you don't walk away, you get back in the box, you plant your feet, and you stand firm. Where? On the Word of God. Life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. That statement right there is a statement of faith. Do you believe he's good? Do you trust that he's faithful? Do you trust that even in persecution, even in difficulty, even in heartache, God still loves you, he's still with you, and that is where you find your strength. That is what lets you stand firm. Now I'd love to be here all night and just read scripture after scripture after scripture that calls you to stand firm, but I have one more for you, and I'm not even going to preach it. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and hear these words, and then I'm going to pray. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The book of the law, God's word, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night. Stand firm on the word so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? 
be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Heavenly Father, we, we know that there is a spiritual battle. We know there is a spiritual enemy. We know that he has deceived many in this world, and, and oftentimes we are overwhelmed by how, how scary this life can be. We're anxious. We're worried. We want, to, we want to run away from people. We want to hide. But you have not called us to hide safely. You have called us to stand firm. So, Father, tonight I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that they would be strengthened with the mighty power that is found only in you. I pray that you would give us courage that we would plant our feet, that we would stand. We would take a stand when there were people that would teach lies. We would take a stand when there were people that, that would tell us we can live however we want. We would take a stand, and our stand would not be built on our emotions. Our stand would not be built on our preferences, but instead our stand would be built upon the rock that is the word of God. That we would, we would build our lives upon your word and we would balance, continually going back to balancing our life upon what you have said. Lord, keep us from giving in to the, the pressures of the world that want to shift the window of what is acceptable in our life. Lord, help us to see that your word tells us what is good and right and true. And Lord, as we do this, I pray that you would let us have the courage and the strength so that we would not only resist the evil one, but Lord, help us to persist in the evil day. God, we confess life is hard and scary sometimes, but Father, we want to stand regardless of the difficulty we face, and we want to stand firm in Christ. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen.